update you all out there. Hope you've had a good week. It's encouraging to note that the cases of uh, coronavirus is coming down in India. We can only pray God that it stays that way, it comes to zero, and we can go back to a normal life like we had before. I know all of you are yearning for that, to get in touch with your family and friends and to be able to meet them face to face. We all are going through that situation and we are looking forward to the day when we can come back to a normal way of life. Many years ago, someone introduced me to Facebook. I was told that I would be able to get in touch with long lost friends and keep in touch with known friends. I could keep myself updated of what's going on in their life and their, their, and their mind. Actually, many people have fallen back to Facebook after the coronavirus and have kept in touch with one another through it. And so it has in some ways been a blessing to a lot of people. In my case, as I tried exploring my new Facebook account and filling in all my profile and many other things that were required to be done on Facebook, um, I got a message from a friend and it was supposedly the, I got an announcement saying that someone has written on my wall. I did not know I had a wall on Facebook, much less someone writing on it. If someone wrote on my compound wall, I would term it defacement and I've got irritated. But here on Facebook, friends could write on my wall with impunity and I was supposed to be pleased. One day my daughter in the US congratulated me for getting married. I was surprised. What an absurd statement. I was puzzled. Why should she say that? Then I realized that I had edited my profile on Facebook and put my status and married. I somehow missed it earlier. I filled in my profile and missed the, uh, the, uh, my position or my status. And I realized why she wrote a tongue-in-cheek comment about it. I also learned that any change I make on Facebook would be announced to all my friends. To me, writing on the wall was had ominous significance, judging from the incident in the Bible, the book of Daniel, of the writing on the wall. As a matter of fact, from this writing on the wall, we got our English phrase of letting people know that the writing is on the wall. In other words, it's a warning that something bad is going to happen. But writing on the wall or writing comments on Facebook was may or may not be ominous. And I learned, but I learned one thing important about Facebook was to be careful what I put on Facebook. Because there have been incidents of people who wanted to share all kinds of experiences in their lives, their family, their holiday schedules, uh, when they would be away from home, addresses of their school, of the school of their children and, and many other things, not knowing that there would be people out there taking this information and, information and using it against them. And that was what actually happened in a few incidents. I also learned that some people in India call Facebook Farsi book. Farsi in Hindi means a noose that you hang somebody with. So I, I began to use Facebook spare, sparingly, though I appreciate the positive benefits of it. I am told that whatever we write on Facebook 
will stay alive long after we are gone from this world. Social media is a good way to record our history. The kings of old and their governments did not have the facility of social media and had to rely on historians, writings on caves, stone tablets, monuments, and other things like that to record their history. But there was a preoccupation among kings, and even there's a preoccupation among leaders today to have their a record of themselves go down in history. We find it in the case of the kings of Babylon and beyond. Knowing that they or their kingdom was, had a limited shelf life, they tried every means available to keep their image alive. In some cases, the Bible is the most authentic record we have of some of these kings and their governments. There was a great king who ruled after King Nebuchadnezzar died, not as great as he was, but he behaved very similarly to King Nebuchadnezzar. The kingdom of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, with all its power and glory, began to deteriorate with every successive heir, finally leading to its downfall. If we study the history of these kingdoms and the rise and fall uh, of these kingdoms, we'll find that they fell with unimpeded regularity. All of them had a different shelf life, but none of them lasted. There is only one kingdom and one government with an eternal shelf life, and that kingdom is the kingdom of God. Nabopolazar, believed to be a Chaldean of Chaldean origin, conquered the Assyrians, completely destroyed Assyria, and founded the Neo Babylonian Empire. Nabopolazar was a member of a prominent political family from Uruk, a place in Babylon. Uh, Nabuchadnezzar was his oldest son. Nabuchadnezzar was made a high priest of the Ina temple of Uruk when he was very young. He fought many battles successfully for his father. The greatest of this, these battles was the battles of Kalkamesh in 605 BC, where he inflicted a crush, crushing defeat on Egypt. His men did not leave even a single Egyptian soldier alive to be able to get word back of the battle to the pharaoh. Nabuchadnezzar was then uh, only a crown prince. Even while he was fighting the Egyptians, he got word that his father was dead. He returned to Babylon to be crowned king. Nabuchadnezzar was succeeded by his third son, named Emel Marduk, who was murdered after reigning for two years. I'm giving you a little bit of a background uh, to, to connect the whole history of Babylon. And hopefully in that process, you'll get a better picture of the king that we are going to talk about uh, in this message. After a few years of uncertainty, Nabodidius ascended to the throne. He is believed to have married one of the daughters of Nabuchadnezzar and laid claim of the royal lineage. His son's name was Belshazzar, the last king of the Neo-Babylonian Empire and grandson of Nabuchadnezzar. Nabu, uh, Belshazzar ruled with his father Nabodidus 
staying home to administer the affairs of the kingdom while his father tried to reopen uh, the, the trade routes taken over by the Persians. Belshazzar was in charge of the city of Babylon when it was captured. He held the second place in the kingdom after his father never did this. Therefore, Daniel was offered the third place after he interpreted the, the writing on the wall that we will talk about today. So after giving you a little bit background the history so that you can connect the threads between the different kings in the Babylonian Empire, let us go to Daniel chapter 5, where it talks about the writing on the wall of King Belshazzar's banquet hall. Daniel chapter 5 verses 1 to 4. We won't go through the entire chapter because it's a long chapter, but we'll just pick the high points from this chapter. Daniel chapter 5 verses 1 to 4 from the Message Bible. King Belshazzar held a great feast for his 1,000 nobles. The wine flowed freely. Belshazzar, heady with the wine, ordered that the gold and silver chalices his father Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from God's temple of Jerusalem be brought in so that he and his nobles, his wives and his concubines could drink from them. When the gold and silver chalices were brought in, the king and the nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank wine from them. They drank the wine and drunkenly praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. It was common in those days for kings to hold extravagant banquets for their family, leaders, officials and supporters. These banquets would sometimes continue for many days, with the guests partying the whole night and sleeping during the day. Food and wine would be served in abundance, and often when the officials were drunk, the feasting would degenerate into debauchery. It appears that on this occasion, mentioned in Daniel chapter 5, that Belshazzar ordered that the gold and silver cups stolen from the temple in Jerusalem be brought into the banquet hall to mock the God of Israel, desecrate it, and show his nobles that God, no God, including the true God, is greater or lives longer than gold, silver, and other items which were worshipped as gods by the Babylonians. The significance of the encounter of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's grandfather, with the true God was forgotten, though the records existed in the archives of Babylon and were known to Belshazzar. Belshazzar wanted to show his leaders that the true God was dead. How many times do we show disrespect to God by our thoughts, words, and actions? We can do so by giving priority to other things in this world instead of God, using God's name in vain, dragging his name down by making frivolous comments on social media, etc. I have seen self-appointed prophets making prophecies about the future on Facebook and claiming that these prophecies have come to them from God. And when they do not come to pass, blame God for not keeping his word. This is one of the best ways we can lose one's, anyone can lose their credibility and the credibility of the religion they profess. So we have to be very careful 
how what we put on facebook or any of these social media we have to weigh our words carefully because we do not know where it is going and how people are looking at us from what we write daniel chapter 5 verses 5 to 9 at that very moment uh, daniel 5 verses 5 to 9 at that very moment the fingers of a human hand appeared and began writing on the lamp illuminated whitewash wall of the palace when the king saw the disembodied handwriting handwriting away he went white as a ghost scared out of his wits his legs gave became limp and his knees knocked he yelled out for the enchanters the fortune tellers and the diviners to come he told these babylonian magi anyone who can read this writing on the wall and tell me what it means will be famous and rich purple robe the great gold chain and be third in command in the kingdom one after the other they tried but could not make no sense of it they could neither read what was written nor interpret it to the king so now the king was really frightened all the blood drained off his face his nobles were in a panic all the words written on the wall was in aramaic a language understood by the babylonians that is mentioned in daniel chapter 2 verse 4 the wise men could not understand its significance two factors connected to the writing on the wall made the king quake with fear the la- the hand was anonymous and could only have come from a super- supernatural being unknown to god and the words were anonymous and could not be interpreted by even the best of his advisers yet the language used was aramaic which all of them understood belshazzar belshazzar promised that if anyone was able to interpret the writing on the wall he would be third in command be given a, a gold chain which was considered a, it was a special gold chain which was considered very prestigious to people in those days and would wear a purple robe why purple robe because a purple robe was a sign of royalty that only the members of the royal family could afford and use the romans actually made it illegal for common folks to use purple a purple dyed robe or to use that dye in any form or shape the penalty for use of this purple dye was death this purple dye was extracted from the mucus of the murex uh, sea snail which is which was found in the seas around tyre it was not found anywhere else in the world Two, uh, 250000 snails were required to extract one ounce of mucus that produced the purple dye 250000 snails were had to be killed in order to get that much mucus this extract was worth more than its weight in gold it appears that after the death of nabuchodonosor daniel receded into a background and was not in active service it is possible that daniel was removed from service because of his jewish background and because uh, and because of what uh, nabuchodonosor believed in his time daniel chapter 5 verses 10 to 12 relates 
that the queen reminded Belshazzar of Daniel's existence and his ability to, to interpret. So obviously Belshazzar did not knew of Daniel, but did not know Daniel personally. The queen could not have been Belshazzar's wives because they were already there with him. She was probably either Nabonidius' uh, wife or one of Belshazzar's surviving, uh, one of Nabuchadnezzar's surviving wives. We do not have any record about the role of Daniel in Babylonia after the death of Nabuchadnezzar. It appears that Daniel's relationship with Nabonidus and Belshazzar was far from cordial, as we shall see when we read on in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel 5 verses 17 says, Daniel answered the king. And notice what Daniel said. Obviously, he was very abrupt, in some ways almost rude with the king when he was summoned before him. Daniel answered the king. You can keep your gifts or give them to someone else. But I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Now, doing something like that to the king by a person, uh, a subject of the king, was would have been considered uh, an insult. And the result of that would have been death. But Belshazzar was too afraid to do anything at that particular point in time. All he wanted to know was the writing on the wall. And also we can see here, Daniel was not motivated by material rewards. His entire life had been characterized by doing right. Doing right should actually be our first priority, not gaining power or, or reward. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we love God enough to do what is right even if it means giving up personal rewards or even our lives. Daniel sent out a powerful message that his God was greater than the gods of gold and silver and no one could challenge God. And no one who did would go unpunished. Belshazzar was about to hear God's verdict. Daniel makes himself very clear that we go on to see in verses 22 and 23. This is what he said. You are his, that is Nabuchadnezzar's son, and have known all this. That means all the background history. Yet you are as arrogant as he ever was. Look at you, setting yourselves up in competition against the master of heaven. You had the sacred chalices from his temple brought in your drunken party so that you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines could drink from them. You used the sacred chalices to toast your gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, blind, deaf and imbecile gods. Here he was insulting Belshazzar's gods and Belshazzar did not open his mouth. Going on he said, but you treat with contempt the living God who holds your entire life from birth to death in your hands or in his hands. God sent the hand that wrote on the wall and this is what is written. Mene, Tekel and Teres. This is what the words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your rule and they don't add up. Tekel, 
you have been weighed on the scales and you don't weigh much. Whereas your kingdom has been divided up and handed over to the Medes and the Persians. Basically what Daniel told King Belshazzar is that you have just received your death sentence. Belshazzar was a proud and arrogant as his father, grandfather Nabuchadnezzar, who was brought to his knees by God. Belshazzar was about to suffer a worse fate. He was not given a chance to repent, even if he would have repented or want to repent, or change like his grandfather, but was killed that very same night by Darius the Mede, who succeeded him as a king. Belshazzar's government had a short shelf life and the Babylonian kingdom ended and was replaced by the Medes and the Persians, symbolized by the chest and arms of silver in Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. The, uh, the two arms symbolize the Medes and the Persians who joined together to conquer Babylon. Now, how did Darius actually enter the city of Babylon unchallenged and unnoticed? If you remember the, my, the messages I gave before this, Babylon had a 350-foot high wall, some 80 feet broad, a moat, and also another inner wall that made it impregnable. But Babylon, Babylon's security had an Achilles heel. Darius discovered this weak spot and exploited it. A river ran through Babylon and supplied water to the city. He diverted the river before it entered the city, and he and his men walked along the riverbed right into the heart of the city. He took the army by surprise, entered the city and the palace, and slaughtered the drunken Belshazzar and all who were parting in the banquet hall. Darius was probably informed about the writing on the wall, Daniel's interpretation, and the mighty works of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6 verses 1 to 3 tells us, Daniel 6 verses 1 to 3, Darius reorganized his kingdom. He appointed 120 governors to administer all the parts of his realm. Over them were three wise regions, one of whom was Daniel. The governors reported to the wise regents who made sure that everything was in order for the king. But Daniel, brimming with spirit and intelligence, so completely outclassed the other vice regents and governors that the king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. Now Belshazzar offered him third place. Here Darius gave Daniel, second place in his kingdom. Anyone who is diligent at his work and works and, and does a good job is recognized by his boss. And the enemies, his enemies, will also recognize his work and be angry with him. Sometimes even when you are at your work, your best of friends and colleagues will go against you. Daniel faced such a challenge. He was 80 years old. Most of his colleagues had either retired or died before that. Those who remained and a new sect 
of people to replace the, uh, them were very ambitious. Daniel stood in the way of the ambition and had to be eliminated. The same thing happens to us today. Wherever we may work, as well as in the corridors of power, all kinds of politics goes on to lobby for power. There are several ways used by people in power to get ahead. Eliminating those who stand in their way, uh, several ruses are used to do that. Either they will try to dig up some dirt about the person in his previous and his present years in government, like we've even seen today in the U.S. when uh, President Biden was, uh, was stood for election, there were people who were engaged to dig up dirt about him so that he could be discredited and he would lose the election. People who want to lobby for power slander them, the people who they are, uh, who they are against, slander them with gossip, lies and exaggerations, eliminate them literally if they could, or put barriers in their way to make things difficult for them. Or they will create situations in the hope that they will trip the person up. Daniel's colleagues chose the last option, probably because the others were too risky and would not work. They chose to use Darius's ego to get the better of Daniel by advising the king to pass a degree, a decree that only he could be a worship for a month and not any other god. They knew that Daniel prayed to his god, come what may. They wanted to use this unique habit to trap him. Daniel understood the ploy and went to God in prayer. Daniel chapter 6 verses 4 to 9 uh, records this event. But continuing from Daniel 10 to 24, we'll read this part, which is very significant. Daniel, uh, verses 10, Daniel 6 verses 10 to 24. When Daniel learned that the decree had been a decree had been signed and posted, he continued to pray just as he had always done. His house had windows in the upper in the upstairs that opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he knelt there in prayer, thanking and praising his God. Now you have to realize that Daniel was in a very high position and therefore lived in a kind of a palace which had more than one floor. And he probably have had many servants and people go coming in and out his place. So nothing was private about what he did. The conspirators came and found him praying, asking God for help. They went straight to the king and reminded him of the royal de decree that he had signed. Did you not, they said, sign a decree forbidding anyone to pray to any god or man? except you for the next 30 days and anyone caught doing it would be thrown into the lion's den absolutely said the king written in stone like all the laws of the Medes and the persians then they said daniel one of the jewish exiles ignores you o king and defies your decree three times a day he prays now, you know what? If a decree was made in those days by the Persians and the Medes, they had to stick to the decree. They could not overrule it. 
Even the king had no powers to overrule his own decree. Once it was made, it was set in stone. That's why Darius said that it is written in stone. It cannot be changed. But here he faced a very serious situation. It goes on to say, at this, the king was very upset and tried his best to get Daniel out of the fix he had put him in. He worked at it the whole day long. But when the conspirators were back, they said, remember, O king, it's the law of the Medes and the Persians that the king's decree can never be changed. The king caved in and ordered Daniel brought and thrown into the den, into the lion's den. He said to Daniel, this is so interesting to see, he said to Daniel, your God, to whom you are so loyal, is going to get you out of this. A stone slab was placed over the opening of the den. The king sealed the cover with his signet ring and the signet rings of all his nobles, fixing, fixing Daniel's fate. The king then went back to his palace. He refused supper. He couldn't sleep. He spent the night fasting. At daybreak, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. As he approached the den, he called out anxiously. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve so loyally, saved you from the lions? O king, live forever, said Daniel. My God sent his angel who closed the mouths of the lions so that they could not hurt me. I have been found innocent before God and also before you, O king. I have done nothing to harm you. When the king heard these words, he was happy. He ordered Daniel taken out of the, de of the den. When he was hauled up, there wasn't a scratch on him. He had trusted his God. Then the king commanded that the conspirators who had informed on Daniel be thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. Before they hit the floor, the lions had them in their jaws tearing them to pieces. We are told at the end of the chapter in verse 28, from then on, Daniel was treated well during the reign of Darius and also in the, uh, in the following reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Let us look at some of the lessons that we can learn from Daniel 5 and 6 and how we can apply it to our lives. And how we can understand how God operates in this world. Number one is live a life of moderation. Live a life of moderation. Anything in excess can be bad for us. Under the influence of alcohol, many people have done things they would never have done otherwise and have suffered the consequences of it. Many murders, rapes and abuse of spouses and children have taken place under the influence of alcohol. Therefore, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29 to 35, Proverbs 23, verses 29 to 35, Who, was, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, 
those who go to uh, go to try mixed wine do not look at wine when it is red when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly in the end it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things galatians chapter 5 verse 21 connected with this was galatians 5 verse 21 envy drunkenness orgies and things like these i warn you as i warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god very strong words used by paul here belshazzar lived a life of drunkenness and debauchery he did what he should not have done under the influence of alcohol of challenging the true god and he suffered the consequences of it second point is testing god will not go unpunished testing god will not go unpunished matthew chapter 4 verse 7 tells us jesus said to him on the other hand it is written him is satan on the other hand it is written you shall not put the lord your god to the test in numbers chapter 14 verses 20 to 23 god said i forgive them honoring your word and he's talking to moses here and moses was pleading for the children of israel and he said to them that i will he was god was going to destroy them but he said i'll forgive them honoring their word but as i live and as the glory of god fills the whole earth not a single person of those who saw my glory saw the miracle signs i did in egypt and the wilderness and who have tested me over and over and over again turning a deaf ear to me not one of them will set eyes on the land i i so solemnly promised to their ancestors no one who has treated me with such repeated contempt will see it we also know that moses himself did not enter the promised land because at times he also faltered at times he also did things that he should not have done and god told him that i will give you an opportunity to see the promised land but you will not enter it belshazzar died as a result of testing god third point work is worship put let us put our hearts into our work colossians chapter 3 verses 22 25 colossians 3 verses 22 to 25 servants do what you are told by your earthly masters and don't just do the minimum that will get you by do your best work from the heart for your real master for god confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance keep in mind always that the ultimate master you are serving is christ the sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible being a christian does not cover up bad work so we should work diligently at our work because we are working actually for god we may be working for our boss but we actually and for our salary but that's not the main reason why we are working well we are working well because our true master is god and we should please him in what we do we see the example of daniel and how he worked 
for the king who was actually who had actually murdered his own people. But God had put him there and he worked hard for them and well for them, not thinking about the king, but thinking about God and God's plan and purpose for his kingdom and for his people. Number four, be above reproach and blameless. Be above reproach and blameless. Don't do anything that is unethical or against the law. If we breach the law and are caught, we will have to face the consequences. Our work should be above reproach. First Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 5, talking about leaders who should be the main people to set an example to everyone else. First Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. If anyone wants to provide leadership in the church, good. But there are preconditions. A leader must be well thought of, committed to his wife, cool and collected, accessible and hospitable. He must know what he's talking about, not be overfond of wine, not pushy, but gentle, not thin-skinned, not money-hungry. He must handle his own affairs well, attentive to his own children and having their respect. For if anyone is unable to handle his own affairs, how can he take care of God's church? A good point that Paul makes over here. Yet when we see the people in the world, we don't find many people setting that kind of example as leaders. But God is very particular of the kind of leadership he has. God was pleased with Daniel because he was a very good leader. And God blessed him for it. And he was God could use him as an instrument to do his will and to help his people and to save his people. Number five is Expect opposition from unethical colleagues. Expect opposition from unethical colleagues. Being upright, honest and hardworking can bring praise and promotion from our bosses, but opposition from colleagues who may try to discredit us. Daniel faced such a situation and could have even lost his life if God had not helped him. If we do the right thing in our work and business dealings, we do not have to worry. God will look after the rest. He will take care of us. Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 to 12. Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 to 12. You are blessed when you, your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, Count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit you. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Expect, if you do the right thing, expect opposition from a sinful world in which we live. They don't like people who are upright. They don't like people who set good examples. Number six, what goes around comes around. 
people who try to trip us up make life difficult for us and otherwise try to destroy or harm us will face the consequences they will often suffer the same harm they hoped would come upon us there is the example in the bible of a man named haman in the book of esther chapter 5 5 to 8 that tells us of how haman plotted and planned against mordecai and he actually erected a gallows to hang him on on it but it so happened that instead of mordecai hanging on that gallows haman hung on that gallows and died the same fate that came to haman came to the enemies of daniel when god delivered daniel from the jaws of the lion and we read about it in daniel chapter 6 verses 19 to 24 now when we read this what are things thoughts that would come to our mind is okay those conspirators were killed in the the den of lions why was his why their wives and their children also thrown into the lions what wrong did they do now we have to realize in those days the kings did just what they liked they didn't look upon justice the way we look upon it today so we have to understand that was the situation over there they did just what they liked and his anger Darius's anger was so great that he wanted to destroy the entire family so that none of them would survive to the next generation so it was that way with with the people in those days so we have to understand that even even today uh, what what happened in that day happened 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 till very recently in the in the history of india when the husband or the head of family would be would die for whatever reason the widow wife and the children would be destitute and probably suffer more than they would suffer uh, if they were dead we know the practice in india was for sati where the wife would throw herself into the uh, uh, the fires of her husband part of the reason why that was done and sometimes wives and children used to be eager to jump into the uh, funeral pyre is because they had no hope for the future nobody would take care of them but we see the wisdom of god when he created the nation of israel he made rules definite rules that widows and orphans would be taken care of by the nation they would not be left without support he made laws so that in case a wife die a husband dies when a wife is young and that husband had a brother that brother would would marry the widow wife of his brother also god made a third tithe which was taken once every 3 years and that money which was collected as third tithe was used for the widows and the orphans so god in his wisdom and mercy did things that the heathen pagan governments of this world had no idea about they did not care about in those days number 7 doing things right by god glorifies him doing things right by god glorifies him darius loved daniel because he was a good servant he was so good that darius depended a lot upon him he therefore tried his best to save him from the lions there even hoped that god uh, uh, the god that daniel worshiped would save him 
from the lions and even told Daniel so. Daniel was a great witness to Darius of his honesty, of his integrity and his example to everyone. Darius glorified God when Daniel was delivered from the lions. Daniel chapter 6 verse 25 to 27 tells us that. Daniel 6 verses 25 to 7, 27. King Darius published this proclamation to every race, color and creed on earth. Peace to you, abundant peace. I decree that Daniel's God shall be worshipped and feared in all parts of my kingdom. He is the living God, world without end. His kingdom never falls. His rule continues eternally. He is a savior and rescuer. He performs astonishing miracles in heaven and on earth. He saved Daniel from the power of the lions. It was this great respect and awe for the king of heaven, the God of the Jews, that King Darius made a proclamation that influenced not only his kingdom, but also his successor, King Cyrus, who took over from his father after he died. And this led to the freedom of the Jews and their returning back to Jerusalem. Realize that this was a background. This is what Cyrus did because he had this historical background of the power of the one God that was the God of the Jews. And he said, I'm going to do the best I can to help these people go to their country and worship their God. And so he allowed Jerubabel in 536 to go to Jerusalem and to build the temple. Later on, Ezra and Nehemiah in 458 and 445 went to Jerusalem to get along with a lot of the Jews to to bring back or to build their kingdom, the kingdom of, of the Jews. God works in marvelous ways and never lets his people down. He is faithful to them and never abandons them. Let us remember the seven lessons we learned from Daniel on studying Daniel 5 and 6 and apply them to our lives. They are live a life of moderation, testing God will not go unpunished. Work is worship. Put our hearts into our work. Be above reproach and blameless. Expect opposition from unethical colleagues. What goes around comes around. And doing things right by God glorifies Him. Let us follow these principles and live a life pleasing to God. And we will also please many men in this world. This world is temporary. Kingdoms and governments will rise and fall because they have a limited shelf life. Only the kingdom of God and the government and his government will last forever. For it is incorruptible and eternal. Let's pray. Our eternal Father, our heavenly Father, our God in heaven, the ruler of your kingdom, Father, we thank you for giving us the book of Daniel 
and all the miracles and all the events that took place and the example that Daniel set in his life as an inspiration, as a reminder to us of how we should conduct our life on this earth. We know that you want the best for us and the best that you can give us is to make us your children in your kingdom. The kingdom that will never end. The kingdom that has really has no shelf life. It is eternal. We thank you for the blessing, this immense blessing that goes far beyond our imagination that you have chosen in your kindness and your generosity, in your grace and in your mercy to bestow upon us as a gift from you. Daniel got many gifts from kings, but none of them match the gift that you have in store for us. Daniel knew about it to some extent, and he was willing to pitch anything he had, including his life, to win that position in your kingdom. And we know that he will be there in your kingdom. Because he set a good example on this earth, and he can and he will be a good he was a good leader and will be a good leader in your kingdom. Help us to be like him. Help us to learn from him and help us to practice some of the things that he did in this life, knowing full well that just like you were with him through all the ups and downs of his life, even took him through trials and difficulties that should have ended his life. Let him go through the fire instead of delivering him from the fire. Letting, let him, uh, letting him go into the lion's den instead of delivering him from the lion's den and yet delivering him from it all. Those experiences must have been very difficult experiences for Daniel, but he trusted you. We should do the same, Father. We should not help us not to be discouraged when we face difficulties, trials, and tribulations in our life and our life, knowing full well that if you don't deliver us from it, you will allow us to go through it and yet deliver us. And in the process, teaches many valuable lessons that we, we need to learn. Thank you for the lessons that you've taught us today. Help us to remember the lessons and help us to use it in our lives. Help all the, the things we learn to transform us and change us into your image, into your life. We thank you for this message, Father. Thank you for making it possible through media, making it possible through the technology that we have today to be able to worship you, to learn of your word, to fellowship with one another and come together. Even though we are not used to this, you made it, you, uh, made it of use to us. You made, you made it uh, easy for us to go through all this and made the facilities available for us to be able to do the things that we are doing. We pray for those who are unable to do so, unable to get in touch because of the situation we face today, who don't have facilities and access to technology and that are sometimes alone in their houses, even on the at the times where they would otherwise have worshipped you, come together to worship you. Bless them and strengthen them, Father, and keep them strong and close to you through all the trials and difficulties that they are facing. And in, help us, Father, to and deliver us from this pandemic, Father, so that we can go back to the normal life and we can meet each other and worship together uh, in your presence. 
We thank you for all that you're doing for us, Father, and for this wonderful opportunity that you've given us today. And we ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.